before we start, it may be a good idea to begin with a little reflection, a little introspection on what is the purpose of our life, why are we here upon earth. Shubindo reveals this beautifully in one of his poems, A Vision of Science. Where he says, after thou hast answered all, answer this one thing. Who art thou in this dungeon laboring? It is so, so strange that some of the most important questions of a life we raise towards the end. It's an irony, actually. Maybe because we realize the falsity of all the answers we gave to them. We are born with certain answers which are not the right answers. And we just accept them. We are born in a family, we are born in certain circumstances, we are born to a particular culture, to a particular nationality, religion. We pick up those customs and we think, this is me. And then all our life we struggle to defend that, which actually is not me, but just an imposition. And it leads to so much pain and suffering and struggle. When we look at the causes, of course, there are many causes. One root cause is ignorance. And quite naturally, the question arises, where does ignorance come from? Who made us forget who we are? And the mother speaks of this in a very large scale. It's not just an individual problem. Ignorance is not an individual problem. It's a cosmic problem. It's tied up to the very roots of creation. If we enter into a zone of darkness, turbulent zone, full of storms and dust and smoke and haze and maze and fox, and we say, I don't see. Yes, I don't see, but no one is able to see in this realm because this realm is like that. If I enter into a zone of darkness, I can't see, but many can't see, most can't see, leading to more and more clash and chaos and confusion and conflict and crisis, distress, despair. So, what is the solution? Traditional yoga gives us a very simple solution. Get out of this zone of darkness. If we take the materialist solution, then it says, try to make some torch lights to see. And we see a little bit. It helps a little bit. But the darkness remains. You have to keep on supplementing new batteries, new ways. This is one kind of progress man undertakes. He remains ignorant, he remains in darkness, but works upon it. It has its own value and purpose. There is the other solution that get out of this zone of darkness. Those who have learned to go within discover that right behind this prison hole we call as world, there is a state, there is a zone of illimitable peace, light, power, beauty, love, ananda. Or we may say, if you want to take the other route, beyond this skull, this roof which traps us, there is a notion of illimitable peace, of light, of energy, of strength, of beauty, of ananda. 
And so they discover it and they say, let's dwell more and more in that. It's a wonderful thing to happen. And what about nature? Leave it to its own momentum. Who said the momentum? Our karmas. That's the traditional explanation. So these karmas will carry on nature by its past momentum till it gets exhausted and a time comes when we can just withdraw from this zone completely into that state of light and peace. We are done with birth and death and care. But Sri tells us, O soul, it is too early to rejoice. It is only half God's work. There is another side of the story. What hast thou done for thy purpose in the stars? So when we use the word purpose, it has a dual meaning. The first is to discover who I am. And second is, what is my place in the universal manifestation? What am I here to do? I don't even know who I am. I don't have the strength, the the capacity, the knowledge. I am just a waif floating on time sea. I don't know what's going to happen next moment. We read from Savitri beautifully. Man still a child in nature's mighty hands in the succession of the moment lives. To a changing present is his narrow right. So, then awakens in us the deep aspiration. We want to make sense of all this, all this play. Is there something that can be done about it? Or the only possibility is to escape from this zone which somehow got created and I don't care how it got created. My task is to escape. But Sri Aurobindo would remind us, escape, however high, redeems not life. Escape brings not the victory and the crown. Escape is not victory. We already were there in that blissful state. There is a purpose why he have entered into this dungeon. And there can be only purpose why children of light would enter into darkness. It is to illuminate. Why portions of supreme consciousness would enter into unconsciousness to make it more conscious. Why love would leap into the abyss to heal division, hatred, distrust, to create harmony. Why children of immortality would plunge into the domain of death to convince death that its ways are otios. To ask it to change. We don't need death anymore. So this zone which we see here is a mixed zone. On one side it is created by the action of what mother has spoken of as the four great asuras. We know that story how it plunged into the into inconscient and it was the birthplace of the four great asuras and we can see their action in our life. Unconsciousness. When we look back five years back, two years back, sometimes two days back, we see how unconscious I was. I didn't know. What am I doing here? These are big questions, even simple things. How unconscious? And it's a measure of our progress. If we don't discover that how unconscious and stupid and foolish I was five years back, that means we have not really progressed. If we really believe, oh, I knew, I know. Then where is the progress? As we progress, we discover how stupid I was. And... The sign that we are not progressing is we say, this world is stupid. Everybody is fool. I am the only wise man. <laughs> so that story of the wise man of Gotham is really a, a mini satire. <laughs> they are wise men, but they don't know. 
So that kind of wisdom has no use. Unconsciousness. Because of this unconsciousness and darkness, we are not able to see our true reality. In darkness we can't see. Sometimes in total darkness we can't even feel our body. We know it just by a kind of vague sense. So, darkness, death which creates division. Nothing is permanent. You try to bring a drop of true love and it will be washed away, attacked from every side. You try to bring peace and the angels of death will smite it. They are angels because they end up making our task more perfect. They want to make sure that this is the true stuff, not not simply a fabrication of peace. So that's why at one place Shubhindo uses the word angels. So though they are, you know, agents, <laughs> it's their job actually to, to test and try. Falsehood. It flows in the very stuff of our nature. Everything within us is as if convinced that there is no divine. It's instinctive, even when we say we have faith. If we have a choice between lawyers, policemen, doctors and the divine, <laughs> the first call is 911 and not 1. Because that's how it is there. It's, it's habitual. It's gone into the stuff. Oh, divine is always there. I can call him once I'm in the ambulance, quietly, peacefully, then maybe, you know... <laughs> Let the doctor come first, let the police handle, but seldom, too seldom. So all this scheme has to change if we really have to think about a new world. The mother has used the word new world, not just new man. New world, world is an entire, it's not just humanity, it's a number of it's elements of creation which are there in new world. It's not enough that I realize the divine within. That has been done for centuries, ages. Let's not mix up two things. Ah, the divine is inside. Of course he's inside. Countless mystics throughout the ages in all cultures and climes have realized it. Let's not doubt them. Wonderful things. It doesn't change this world. It doesn't make a jot of difference except to a faithful few whom they may also uh, you know pay their money for their tickets to heaven and if we want that kind of a route then obviously this is not the yoga similarly we use the word transformation very loosely people go to a psychiatrist and say ah transforming experience for heaven's sake this is not transformation Transformation is not a feel-good factor. I feel very nice inside. I am transformed. It's not. Transformation is much more radical, definitive, something that endures. It's not something evanescent that vaporizes. I am so beautifully transformed when I am sitting in this hall. When I walk out and somebody says, Hey, you are not looking good. I say, Who is this guy? Who... <laughs> I looked into the mirror <laughs> this morning. <laughs> Of course I look good. <laughs> that's not transformation. That's that's called feel-good factor. <laughs> At least that's the term I use. So we must, you know, oh, I went there, it was transforming experience. I felt ecstasy and peace. Countless mystics have felt ecstasy and peace inside. There's nothing special about all these kind of experiences. That's what yesterday also. Transformation is real hard work. It's painstaking. And precise. Nothing can be neglected. Shubhindo used the word. I don't use this term in the sense that it is ordinarily used. Subsequent to Shubhindo, many people have picked up this word. Experience the transformation of consciousness. Experience the transformation in these beautiful lush surroundings. This, this, all this goes on. So it has become a commonplace word. Just like Shubhindo used the word Arya in a certain sense and Hitler completely turned it on its head. Or he used the word Superman and it was already polluted and, you know. So transformation has suffered the same fate. Divine life. 
So when we speak about a new world, it's not just some inner experience of peace, ecstasy, even mukti, which is not uh, so easy, but it's not about that also. The very basis of life here must change. Everything here is based on matter. Matter is the stronghold of these four asuras. That's where they hide. And of course, one may say, why doesn't the divine simply blast them off? If you blast off, no basis will be left. Earth will vanish. Divine has done it six times. Blasted off the asuras and the earth has also gone. Pralaya. But it doesn't work like that. Therefore, it's a slow process. Slowly, slowly he goes, comes, convinces, asks the allegiance of these parts in nature. Come, come, come. See what I have in store for you. There is a very beautiful, interesting message of the mother. In 1958, soon after the supramental descent, see how much she had to do. It's not so simple as creating a new world by some kind of, a, you know, sitting for meditation. It's a very long process. So first resistance was from material nature. See, not Human beings have not even come into the picture. They are in the background. They don't even know. Mother has not even declared what has happened, except for few. So material nature says, see, I know that you have brought down some new consciousness. It's all very good. But I am enjoying my play. I know eventually there will be a new creation. Let it take millions of years. What's the hurry? These fellows don't deserve it. They are happy with me and I am happy with them. Let me play. For nature, we are puppets, you know. Nature's man still a child in nature's mighty hands. It loves to play with us, Tom and Jerry. So, what mother does, it's one of the unparalleled, you know, events that have taken place in the spiritual history. See, lot of hap- lot has happened after 56, we don't know. At one time, I almost thought that I'll write something on this. What happened after 1956? We speak about 56. One of the things was, 58, mother identified herself with material nature. Said, okay, come, I'll play this game. In, in old times, some of these Puranas, this is mentioned as a symbolic story. Sita identifying with material nature. But she is that power. And who knows it? The Asura knows it and the gods know it. Others don't know that she is the supreme power. So Asura wants to possess her. And the gods also know. They know she is the supreme power and they are waiting for that power to unveil itself. So she identifies with material nature and says, let's play the game. So she plays. And what she does is, during the game, slowly, 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 she starts introducing the new consciousness. Small doses, homeopathic doses. But we know how powerful homeopathy can be. And so it can kill also, by the way. You know, people think homeopathy is all good. It can kill. She have been those words. Because it is very powerful. It's Anything which can do good can also do its opposite. So we should not just think, oh, it's nothing but sugar-coated pills which will help me. Wrong usage, wrong dosage can create chaos and havoc on the system. So she starts introducing in the right doses, like the perfect homeopath. And after a while, suddenly material nature discovers that, yeah, 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 it's, it's good. This event is in 1957. She reveals it in 58. So she discovers, it's good. It's not annulling me. It's making my play more interesting, more beautiful, more powerful. It's like from five-day cricket, which had become boring. It's now gone into T20. Oh, I can play at a faster pace. Greater with more harmony. It's something wonderful. So she accepts the new consciousness. This was the first step. At least what mother has revealed. There may have been many others. And then mother gave this message. Oh mother, material nature, thou hast accepted to collaborate. And there is no limits. She has accepted to collaborate. Then somebody asked, what does it mean? Practical implication. She says, now everybody, every child who comes who will take a human body or any body, any, any creation is based on this material nature. This is the base. So there will be a, she doesn't use this word, but there will be a chip of new consciousness introduced into it. Our very DNAs will change because material nature has accepted. It has agreed to 
accepted the new consciousness so it'll it'll put its own bit it's add that flavor and that flavor is a flavor which will change everything so this was one step then she had to prepare the gods another difficult creatures they love to be worshiped they are all with their hundis and they love their devotees who come and ask them and the gods give them to the extent they can when they cannot give it's your karma your problem <laughs> when they can give it's <laughs> so we end up you know so she had to convince them look you really like this worship so she starts with the great gods she tells durga do you like this all this worship and all this so durga says i don't like but what to do my devotees don't leave me <laughs> it's there you know i tell them that look you know this not it but they will not leave me they will every year bring me five days they will pray have the stalls of mahisasur next to my pandal and after five days they will immerse me but what to do i am tied by the law of bhakti gods are tied by that they they come so mother says okay i'll give you a remedy what is the remedy why don't you surrender to the supreme what supreme because they are so powerful beings <laughs> it is never occurred to them they are in a certain sense one with the supreme so what is surrender to the supreme that is a unique privilege given to human beings because we experience at once the divinity and the fragility within us so durga surrenders to the supreme and experiences the joy of surrender samadha speaks of it then there are other fellows after this is done now she must handle the asuras human beings are still to come that she has been doing for a long time bringing them close to her very close she said all these beings were tied to my physical existence there was a reason why i had brought them close to me she tells them tries to convince them just like in savitri after a long time two of them agreed okay fine and they get converted so they become very beautiful instruments beautiful or not but powerful instruments certainly the asura of unconsciousness and darkness they yield but death and falsehood doesn't yield it says no so eventually they say tell her that look we will we know you are going to be victorious it's a one sided match <laughs> but we will play out our game fully she says okay in principle you have agreed the victory now people asked her why don't you finish them off all the avatars have done it he says that what will happen i finish them off many of those who are in my shelter will also finish off because it is flowing into the veins how do we blast it we know what happens when we treat cancer with heavy chemotherapy even the normal cells get killed so that's not a remedy they have to be transformed so that is the process going on still going on they have agreed in principle but their plenty of emanations that are there in everywhere they are active and they are playing out their game a game which they know is being lost every moment that's the beauty and we can participate in that process either by owing an allegiance to these inherited darknesses or by owing allegiance to the divine who is working in us this is a choice we have to make every day at least we can renew the choice every moment may be a difficult thing because we are not conscious but at least every day or as often as in the day we can owe our allegiance to the divine this is the secret of the new creation the old creation is centered around the ego and division and it is erected by all these four great wise men <laughs> darkness unconsciousness so we see that in the old creation everything that came up in some way or the other ended up catering 
to increasing these things in us. There is a very interesting, uh, of course, a lot of debate can take place on this, but every technological advance has been a biological amputation. Look at medicine. Shubhinda speaks about it. The savage had faith in his incantations and he got healed. Modern man has faith in the medicines. So what is the difference? The difference is that for savage it was easy. He had faith in his incantations and he didn't have to shell out big money and he got healed because that was the faith factor. Now we have to take an appointment, go there because now the whole thing. So they have on one side, they have provided us. Let's not forget in Indian mythology, Ravan ki Sone ki Lanka, the, the golden city of Lanka. He had more resources. He had the flying machine. He had the best healer in the world. So much so that when Lakshmana is struck, he has to be called from Lanka. He is the fellow who knows. He is the expert, you know, omnibus medical specialist. All surgeon, medicine, everything rolled into one. He knows the treatment. Ravana had such terrible weapons, so many things. So it creates that. And what happens? We get trapped. We are attracted. We get drawn. Oh my God, this is something too good, wonderful. And so it ends up catering, increasing our unconsciousness. It creates number of things for our luxury. And we say, yeah, this is life. At the end of the day, we have the same problem unless God's grace comes and we spend sleepless nights in our most comfortable air-conditioned rooms. Then we have a chance, that is grace. Then we question because something comes and shakes the foundation but we say, oh, how cruel you are. You're a bad God. But actually it's a grace. So if we look at the old world and its structure, it has catered to the ego self in us. It has catered to the great dramatist, the vital in us. The vital is always bored. It wants new things. So you see how the old world caters to it. Every six months, I don't know how it is here, but models change, things change, <laughs> slight variations. And then we get to that and the old one becomes defunct. So it caters to that. It, it's built around that. It's built by that. We need to fight. It has so many weapons that can create destruction, but very few weapons that can create harmony. In fact, practically none. There is no pill which can create, okay, we all take it and magically we have harmony and you know, feel love for each other. <laughs> Though even for happiness it has created a pill. Artificial happiness inducer. Take a pill, what is there? Why people should meditate, bliss and all that? I will give you just now. Shell out a few bucks and you have the magical pill for happiness. For peace there is a pill. All agitation will be calmed. <laughs> so it caters to that kind of, it catered to, it still caters to that kind of a clientele. So quite naturally when we seek the new world, all this hits back like a dragon lashing with its tail. It doesn't want to lose its kingdom. It is happy and comfortable if you withdraw inside and seek God. It says we have no issues with that. But this world is ours. Inside you find the divine, no problem. But you want to manifest him in life, in creation, create a new world out there, no way. So you will see something very strange and interesting. And people often wonder and they ask, why is it that Shurabindu devotees are fighting? Always. <laughs> Or always in some challenge, some problem or the other. Collective life is not easy because of this reason. Because we want to establish here something which is beautiful and true. So the old world will not give way. If we want to have a retreat where we quietly just withdraw into divine finding, the old world will not create any problems. Mother speaks of it. She says... I have to make a choice. If I plunge into the cells, I have to renounce the entire omnipotence. He speaks of this. We talk about renunciation. Renouncing this mud and filth for the beauty of the divine. That's not renunciation. That's the most logical thing to do. 
It's the best bargain we can ever have. We should not even use the word renunciation. What is there to renounce this mud and filth? To feel the touch of that glory. Renunciation is what Mother and Shurabindra have done. God saying, my Godhead, I have come down into this sordid earth. Ignorant, laboring, human grown, twixt the gates of death and birth. On a desperate stair, my feet have trod. How he describes it. A voice cried, go where none has gone. Dig deeper, deeper yet. Till thou touch the grim foundation stone. And the gates of hell. So that's where he, he stumbles on it. Stumbles where a falsehood is planted deep. Renouncing everything, renouncing the omnipotence, renouncing the omniscience, because thus alone one has to plunge into this darkness. Of course, it's there in his heart. Carrying in my breast God's deathless light, I came her dark and dangerous heart to woe. The same process takes place in the making of a new creation. That's why it takes time, it takes tremendous patience, endurance, an unflinching faith, courage, regardless of appearances. Even if the world collapses, even if everybody around says, this is a shimra, 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 it's not possible. Then we have to remind ourselves with those lines of Savitri we heard, earth's winged shimras are truths, steeds in heaven. The impossible, the God's sign of things to be. That faith it requires. It's not enough just to have faith, divine exists. So we must know the difference and the enormity of the task before us. It's not enough to feel divine inside. It's very good. It's but one radiant space, indispensable, necessary. But to inform each cell, each movement, each breath, each heartbeat with that presence, that love, that light, that peace. That is the challenging task and it's by no means easy. Everything resists. Thousand voices deny. This instrumental nature has to change because everything here is based on this instrumental nature. The forces that move us have to change. Not just some inner poison. That is transformation. Transformation is not just experiencing peace inside. Easiest thing. Everybody knows. It, it's not a big deal, honestly. With slight sincerity and aspirations. It, one can have an excess. Of course, it's a great thing to have, but transformation is also to deal with the forces that move us. Yogis don't do that. What do they do? Bring in the forces of nature a sattvic illumination and a sattvic control. Okay, these forces will act under a certain degree according to the Shastra. What is right, what is wrong. It's still ignorance, but at least, you know, it, it doesn't interfere much with the seeking for the divine. So that's what is done. But to transform these forces into energy packets of light, that's very difficult. We can say that, okay, love in me will not be selfish. I must love people unselfishly. That's possible. It's a wonderful thing to happen. But love in me will change its human nature and change into a divine love. That is very difficult. Even if we practice total unselfishness, still its origin is still human. It smells of our humanity. And yesterday, I think someone was telling us about how this love has to change step by step. This change into divine love starts when we have completely got rid of all expectations, including the need for acknowledgement. We love because it's the nature to love. And then it's a starting point. Then all this love has to turn towards the divine. Therefore, all relations begin to change. It's not just a change inside. It has to also be a change in the collective life. Relations have to change. The way we connect with people, how beautifully Shubhindu gives us a clue in the synthesis of yoga. Of course, it's based on the famous um, Yagnaval 
who gave the Shubhnishad. When Maitre asked him, and Shubhendu says, this is the basis of divine life. Why does one love the wife, the child, and so on and so forth? And Yagnaval gives a clue, one loves the wife, not for the sake of the wife, but for the sake of the self. One loves the child, not for the sake of the child, but for the sake of the self. One loves the country, not for the sake of the country, but for the sake of the self. And Shubhendu gives us a beautiful meaning. He says, in the lower self, it's for the ego's sake. We may use nice words, I love, but basically it's to foster the ego. Look what happens when the child says, I don't care for you. Or the beloved says, someone on whom one has pined, run around the trees and all memories are there and says, please, make your own cup of tea. Don't, you know, that much is required, not, not even big things. What? You're revolting? Who taught all this? Are you beginning to go to Shurabindu circles? <laughs> They're spoiling your head. Our religion says, our culture says, then you know, everything suddenly comes. There are many other things in culture and religion which are never touched. But suddenly when poor lady says, today you make your own cup of tea, then the entire Hinduism must defend. <laughs> it's there in every religion. Once somebody came to me, a Roman Catholic, and he said, you know, I have problems with my wife because you can't divorce. So he says, I thought, there are things written in the Bible about what a wife should do and should not do. And my wife doesn't follow it. He even got the book and started showing. I said, look, you know, please, I think, uh, uh, also show me there must be a place where it is written what a man is supposed to do and not do. <laughs> he said, yeah, 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 that is there. I said, I would like to see that first. Then we can get on to this. <laughs> see, how falsehood and the ego wears many masks, including masks of spirituality, masks of religion, because we think that is nobody. And therefore, today's children are demolishing it. You try to give this justification. Our Shastra says so. What Shastra? Who wrote it? I don't care. Because somewhere intuitively they see through it that, you know, as I said, they are born with a new chip. They say, don't quote all this Shastra business, no? I know what you do in your real business. <laughs> I have seen you lost your cool. You are quoting me Ramayana and Mahavarata. They have not read, poor fellows. Otherwise, they will know the richness of it and the beauty of it. They have not seen the Bible with the true eyes. It's, that's a different part of it. But they see through the game that we play, twisting the scriptures. That's what is called the devil quoting the scripture. So ego wears a thousand masks to perpetuate its play. Sometimes it will play a martyr. See, I have been so unselfish. How much I have suffered. We don't have to suffer. It's okay. If I have been unselfish, nice, good. Good for me. I have booked a seat in heaven. Already, you know, I must have received a ticket. You have been good guy, things are ready for you. Whenever you come, we'll send you angels, not the dark, those two horned Yamdutas. You'll be taken care of. So when we do something good, it's for our own good. It's nobody else. Sattvic life is like that. It knows that if I am a good person, if I do things according to dharma, it's like helps me in the afterlife and eventually. So it's a sattvic life. But sattvic change of nature is not transformation. The divine action is transmoral, supramoral if you like. And I use this example. It's okay to be angry with your child to scold him because you know he is doing things which are wrong. Sattvic point of view, it's fine. It's okay to have children through your wife. Perfectly fine. It's legal, moral, everything. In fact, they even say conjugal rights. But from a spiritual point of view, it will come in the way. So when it is said spirituality is not morality, it doesn't mean to become immoral and <laughs> like an animal. Oh, there is no moral. Moral is just man-made. That also mask is used. 
it means to go beyond morality into something much more difficult challenging engaging imagine living with your wife loving her with the depths of your heart but never ever violating her is it an easy task taking care of your child nourishing nurturing everything and then to set him free divine is caring he will have his own way he'll find his way if he's not ready for something greater so yagnaval gives us this wonderful clue we can love and connect with others for the sake of the ego we can love and connect with others for the sake of the divine within us and within them it sets us free it's a great liberty not to carry the burden of responsibility this is the last surrender mother says oh leave it to me so beautifully nalnida he had four children we know for some time shrivinda would every year he and few others they would go and he also got married shrivinda told him it seems nalni go get married and come back he got married and came back as simple as that <laughs> and then every year he would go they would all go all the boys uh, for a month or so and he had four children then once shrivinda told him that nalni now i think you should stay here so he continued to stay here <laughs> it would be regarded as from a satvik point of view something which is not done you know when nonita was asked asked by whom because people complain to the mother he doesn't take care of his children so mother asked him nalni it seems you don't take care of his children now see the mother's ways to see what is the state we can do the same thing in a state of unconsciousness indifference not bothered Nalnida says something to his mother. Why, mother? You are there to take care of them, and she doesn't say a word. If that is the state, it's all right. <laughs> But we can't use this also as a justification. Okay, so I will be indifferent, and I will say mother is taking care. So you see how that's why it's called a shurasya dhara nishitha duratya. This way we can err, that way we can err. So the only solution is vigilance and sincerity. There is no other way. words don't help us that's why the gita and shurbindo bits us to go beyond the word beyond the scripture written or spoken shabd brahmati vartate because otherwise we can be lost in the literal interpretation of words and be lost in its maze we have to go to the state of consciousness there is a certain state of consciousness in which all responsibility is handed over to the divine the divine takes care of it why not it's a wonderful state to rise into but we carry this burden on our head and then we also carry discipline in our pocket both <laughs> they complementary every time we carry a load of responsibility we are handed over a pack of discipline please keep it in your pocket you'll need it <laughs> but new world starts when we place the divine at the center of everything not by abandoning oh i don't want to do anything with child or wife or anybody they have their place because the divine has brought them in contact with us some purpose something we don't know and we must handle them with utmost deal with them all these words are wrong handle deal <laughs> probably love them give the love and respect that is due simply because they are also mother's children and so also this whole creation is mother's creation and let us install her wherever we go this is a very beautiful uh, line in kabir's mystic poem and i will translate into hindi <laughs> you know very often people say that they go to holy places to feel good get the touch of god because god is installed there they read the vedas because it's secret scripture so kabir says something very interesting he says jo bolu so ved kahawa jahan pag dharu so tirath whatever i speak is a veda because it has said in the through the soul vision and in a state of surrender to the divine it is a veda that's what shubindu says 
Vedas are sacred, not because God spoke them, but because the soul heard it. God speaks, but mind may hear and make a mess out of it. That is the beauty of Veda. Our soul must hear it. Otherwise, it's a scripture. It's a book. We may read the Gita and say like that movie that, you know, nobody kills, nobody gets killed. So let me kill with impunity. No, the soul must hear it. Jo bolu so ved kaha. Jahan pag dharu so tirat. Wherever I place my feet, that becomes a holy place. Because, well, for me, the divine is at that point of time there. The story of Guru Nanak who is sleeping and some, you know, in, in Arabia and somebody comes and says, look, you know, don't put your feet towards Mecca. That side is Mecca. And he says, okay, please. So he puts his feet the other side, he sees Mecca, that side. And so on. And he says, wherever his feet goes, Mecca is there. He says, but Mecca is everywhere. <clears throat> Mecca is in our heart. So there, this relationship with the world must also change. That is part of the new creation. New creation is not a disembodied spiritual state inside. It's not a withdrawal from you know all activities and relationships of life, but transforming them. But before transformation, informing them with the divine consciousness. Keeping the divine at the center. So also, the institutions must change. Shubhindra uses the word, it's, it's no, not enough that we do a, uh, our inner consciousness is enlightened, but we do the works of toe light. I am a doctor, inside I am remembering and offering the divine. That's why people say it's the same thing as Gita's yoga. Mother also says remember and offer. Gita also says remember and offer. But Gita doesn't talk about transforming the instruments. How would divine heal? That faculty must flow in me. How would divine speak? How would the divine write? How would the divine teach? How would the divine cook? Supramental cooking. Maybe like Shabri? We don't know. In a state in which Vidur is, we don't know. How would the divine make? We hear that the most tastiest you know, dish, sweet dish, is made in Kailash. No excess, you know. We can't just pay money and get it. It's called kheer, payasam. Milk with rice. Why? Because goddess Parvati makes it for Shiva. Very difficult condition. But see how this is what mother taught in the ashram. How? What was the first kitchen? It was basically mother and few people started cooking for Shurabindu. First it was the mother, then some other sadhikas came. Lalita and few others joined. Puraniji's wife and they started cooking for Shurabindu. It became mother's kitchen. Later on sadhaks came so it expanded from there. So much so that today in dining room also it's prashad. It's, it's mother's force is in it. Isn't it? So cooking can become a divine activity and cooking can become a totally egoistic activity where you know after cooking we expect why didn't you appreciate me? And uh, I think 10 minutes more. So, this is how we have to look at new creation where the institutions, the activities must change and they cannot unless the whole instrument changes. So much so that mother would tell us and there are actual instances, Chandradeep ji, I know for one, when letters would come, he would not read the addresses. He would just pick them up and know where they have to go. Mother says you have to develop so much consciousness that you pick up just the right amount if, if, let's say, you're doing a job of cooking. So, you, this intuitive thing comes in many people. You pick it up and just the right amount, the right material and you put it. Because everything has to change into a more intuitively informed consciousness. So, this is the process. Institutions, our schools. That's why old institutions are breaking down. The schools have become hubs for all kinds of things except education. People are very worried about it. Because we have to have new institutions, much more flexible, plastic, wide, God knows what, they have to evolve. And it's a big challenge. Hospitals have to change. Right now they are, you know, death agents are all around along with insurance people. 
so they are all around every corner they are waiting and peeping oh this fellow is going to die so they give this suggestion inside better quit one bed empty we'll have another patient who can pay more money so you know it goes on because they this the whole institution is like that healing space we should have new institutions with new healing spaces science has to change we have to discover ways and means by which we can build harmony peace bring light instead of energy by division energy by coming together fusion not fission all this will evolve over a period of time art must change not starkly realism which we saw few decades back but the true realism worship of the beautiful and the wonderful everything must change and we have hints and glimpses in the ancient scriptures at least in india everywhere we have it in its own way where marriages were around the central fire so mother gave this message at first of course he said that marriage is not necessary if two people love each other they can be together now it was too much <laughs> people would always wonder what love is and you know so she said wait 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 before she let this message go she gave this another message <laughs> and that is the origin of that famous message for marriage when people want to get married uh, now it is given to everyone but how to unite ourselves around the central fire of aspiration it's not just okay i'll find happiness in you you find happiness in me if that ever happens then possibility of divine life is shut out because we shut the whole universe out forget the divine when two people are very happy with themselves then god says okay for this life is it's done nothing more can be done in this fellow he has found happiness they found happiness in each other but time to time he reminds us no you cannot because they are shut into each other it won't work that's why it's always touched with that seed of see how even all these agents of darkness do their job because eventually they push us out of a comfort zone so everything all these institutions have to be economics the purpose of economics is not to make a huge production machinery where just money keeps coming 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 and growing more important than growing money is to circulate it to use it for make creating something good on the earth what happens if one dies with billions of dollars in the bank or wherever more often than not it spoils the children or the grandchildren it's a well known thing but if we put that money to creating something beautiful like an institution i mean i i can't help but remember our university immediately <laughs> or for that matter such a such conference it's a right use i mean something to create a beautiful environment i'm sure plenty of people have lots of money but it's just for one's own use and beyond the point what do you do with it so money is not meant for making money mother said that it's not meant for perpetuating greed it's not for that she gave this problem of poverty in fact he said as human beings will rise in consciousness the problem will be solved it is adjusting the production to the needs and the needs to the production that's as simple as that so if i have less i adjust my needs not develop greed and snatch like some violent ideologies so this is the whole new world where everything administration law law will not be to simply you know punish a criminal that's not that's an old world law but law will be to reform to treat him as a soul trapped in ignorance classical example is the birth of ramayana ratnakar was a dacoit murderer there are hints in buddhist scripture anguli mal in biblical scriptures Saul of Tarsus Saint Augustine and how you know this Ratnagar is everybody and then he catches hold of Narad or Angiras their different stories doesn't matter Sanat Kumar that person is not important but he asks him you are doing all this will your family share your the ill that you are doing he says of course they are enjoying my bounty so they will share my bad karma he says please check it out 
So they say, why should we? It's your job to provide us. And that begins to bring a change in him. And he says, all my life I have fooled myself. I thought I am doing for my family. But look, today my family itself has disowned me. What do I do? He says, remember God. What is his name? He says, you call Ram. So he says, I can't say Ram, I can only say Mara. The same Mara, but do it with the consciousness that you are calling God. It's a very beautiful story. The state of consciousness is so important. So he says, Mara, 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 Mara. So he ends up saying Ram, Ram. And this is a very beautifully captured small little sloka. Ulta Nam Japa Jagjana Valmi Ki Bhai Brahma Samana. The world saw him taking the name of God wrongly. And they were saying, this fellow, he doesn't even know how to take the name. It's not Mara, Mara, Mara. They would correct him and say, it's Ram, Ram, Ram. He said, I can't help it. I can only say Mara, Mara, Mara. Ulta Nam Japa Jagjana. The world knew him as somebody who was taking the name of God wrongly. But what was the result? Valmiki Bhai Brahma Samana. Valmiki turned into a seer of Brahman. It's not the technique. It's the state, the sincerity, the genuineness of our aspiration that counts. The divine does not give measure in the front, you know, in the uh, fruits in the measure of whether we were sitting bolt straight or not, whether we were concentrating accurately here or there. Little shift and he says, no, 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 you are disqualified. He says, what's in your heart? Do you want power like Ravana? And he says, okay, keep doing for thousand years. Or if he says, yes, there is love, then like Prahlad, he manifests himself. So this is how everything has to undergo a change. The instrumental nature, the motives, forces that move us and move this world, our relationships with people. Politics has to undergo a change. Internationally, we have to become sincere. We are not sincere. We say one thing and do other things at the political level. And Mother spoke about it. So, politically, administration, it's not like I have a stick in my hand and you listen to me and if you don't listen to me, you'll be you know, thrown out. That's not administration of, of the highest order. How did Sears administer? With this one last story, I'll stop because a lot of stories keep coming and you know. <laughs> yeah, one last story. What is divine administration? We see it in mother's life. She would see just what is useful and develop it. Even if all that you knew was how to put a stamp on the envelope nicely, she said, this is enough to admit him into my ministry. It's enough. She said that I see only that in you which is beautiful and I encourage it. If I see the dark part, none of you will be able to stand my child. Nobody. This was the divine way that, you know, she encouraged whatever is beautiful, good. And every one of us has something which is beautiful and good in us. So the story is about how Rama, after winning, everybody came with him, including Vibhishna. Now all the monkeys are suspect. He is after all an Asura. He loves non-veg. And Ayudhya, there is no non-veg. No beef, no meat. But, so they tell him, please, why are you calling him? He says, don't worry, I know my job. After some time, Bhivishna wants to eat non-veg. So he goes, no restaurants. So he goes into the forest, picks up a rabbit and eats it. Monkeys are keeping a watch over him. And they run back and say, see, we told you, you don't know. You, you may be divine, you don't know the ways of the world. <laughs> Look at this fellow. So Rama says, okay, 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 don't worry. Is all, all of you monkeys are safe? Yes, we are safe. But tomorrow he is going to kill us. Okay, don't worry. Next time, after a few months, again he feels, goes and eats another rabbit. But he says, it's not tasty. What's gone wrong? <laughs> again, the back and forth reporting. And the third time when he eats it, he vomits. He says, oh my God, what have I taken? So this is called administering with love and compassion. And that force that can change our nature. It's not just my profit and my benefit. But 
there is a work to do with everything that comes within our paridhi, in our perimeter, and to offer all these things to the divine for the great transmutation. We have done with time. I had thought of reading something. In the afternoon, we will read.